The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. We return now to the issue of the changes, the overhaul to Ireland's licensing system. We talked about it after four o'clock. People directly impacted. The person behind it all is Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee. She joins me now. Minister, you're welcome to the show as always. Can you talk us through exactly what changes you have proposed? Good evening. Hi. Um, I mean, look, quite simply, we have a licensing system at the moment that does not work. It's not modern. It's not fit for purpose. We have over the past 200 years developed a system where we have about 100 different laws, about 36 different type of licenses. And as I've said, some of them date back to as far as 1815. So they're not modern. They're not fit for purpose. And they don't support what I want to see. And I think what most people want to see, and that is a growing, vibrant nighttime cultural economy. So what we're doing is we're bringing forward a number of changes around how licenses can be applied for. So that is to streamline the process for people to encourage more people to get into this industry, so to encourage people to open bars, to start different nighttime events, to open and have different type of cultural offerings. So people will now be able to apply in the district court, where before it was the circuit court. Uh, We will have a more streamlined licensing application process, so we'll go from 36 licenses down to 20. So previously where you had five types of different producer licenses or three different types of hotel licenses, it will now be one it will be a much more streamlined and easier accessible uh, and a more straightforward process. Separate to that, then, we're talking about consolidating and, and really just um, levelling out the different opening hours. So if you have a seven-day pub licence, you can open from half ten in the morning, which is currently the case, but it will be till half twelve at night, Monday to Friday. As we know at the moment, we have something different Monday to Thursday, Thursday to Saturday, and then Sunday. On top of that, then, we will have late bars which will continue to open till half two, as they currently do. But we're now going to allow nightclubs to open until six o'clock. Um, this is really an acknowledgement that this is a sector that is absolutely dying on its feet. About 20 years ago, we had 500 nightclubs. Today, we have about 80 right across the country. So we need to be able to provide offerings that other countries do to entice, whether it's DJs or artists or international acts, to come and to provide a setting for them to perform, which we currently don't have at the moment. In saying all of this, uh, you know, and I have to be very clear, we're still talking about selling alcohol. It Mm. can't be treated the same as any other commodity or any other good. So we will have restrictions in place. So the fact that everybody on a level playing field, whether it's an amenity license, a pub license, an off license, everyone has to apply to the district court. And that means that they have to publish a notice in the paper, but also the fire officer, the guardy, the HSC, local authority and indeed community people where they feel they're being impacted have an opportunity to make a submission. And if someone's renewing a license and they haven't been, you know, doing things properly, they haven't kept an orderly house, that people have an opportunity to object. So, you know, we have to balance this between trying to open up the offerings, give people more of what you see in other European countries and and internationally, while also acknowledging this is not the same as Mm -hmm. selling, you know, any other type of product. We spoke about this a little bit earlier in the show, Minister, and lots of people getting in touch on 53106 with different views on it. And quite a few uh, suggesting this won't change culture one jot. This will just lead to more drunkenness and more public disorder on the streets. Well, firstly, I would say culture has already changed. I mean, people's habits have changed. We've actually seen a decrease in the amount of alcohol consumption over the last number of years. Um, And what I have made sure over the last year and a half while we've been developing this 
is that we have consulted with every stakeholder from the outset. So those with public health interests, obviously those in the nighttime economy and in the industry, mm-hmm. but everybody from Angarda Khan and local authorities and making sure that everybody has a say in this. And we've tried to get that balance around public health. So, for example, as I've mentioned, the HSE have an opportunity and must be informed if a new pub or a new venue is going to be opened. We've kept some of the enforcement measures that have been put in place during COVID for the Gardaí. So where people are not doing things properly, where there's disorderly behaviour, they can issue a warning and then can obviously close down a venue if they're not responding. Am I not right in thinking, though, that the same figures that suggest uh, our over, overall level of alcohol consumption has come down, they also suggest that our levels of binge drinking remain stubbornly high. So people maybe overall are drinking a little bit less during the week, but they're just consuming the same amount in more concentrated periods. Well, and I, I having think nightclubs open till 6am surely doesn't help that. No, well, what's actually happening is that people are drinking more at home. So instead of what would have been the case years ago where the vast majority of people drank in pubs and bars and restaurants, the vast majority of people now buy from off licences. They're drinking at home where the environment is not controlled and that in itself leads to that type of binge drinking. But I believe part of the reason for that is there aren't any offerings. And to go back to my point, the nightclubs that you or I or many others would have frequented in Dublin, they're not open, they're not there anymore, or in Galway or in Cork or any of ah, the rural towns or villages. Mostly it, people I, are drinking at home because it's cheaper. I, I think it's a contributing factor. So we, we have to give people options here. And the more people are buying from off-licences, the more they're not drinking in controlled environments. So whether it's a cultural night where, you know, buying alcohol is only the the second objective, so they're going to a show, they're going to a play, they're going to some gallery or an exhibition, we have to put more into trying to create these other type of options for people. Or, you know, a younger person who wants to open a bar but knows that there isn't an appetite for it during the day, so maybe it might be a restaurant or a cafe during the day and a bar at night. Like... We have to be providing these type of options, and at the moment we're not. Um, what we do acknowledge, though, and back to my point that the vast majority of people are now buying alcohol and off-licenses, at the moment it is very cost-prohibitive for many people to actually open a pub. So because you have to buy a licence uh, at the moment, particularly in rural towns and villages where you don't mm-hmm. have the same level of trade and you know where, where, where you're not getting the same level of income, so you're not seeing where rural towns and villages are losing their pub or their only pub, they're not reopening, they're being sold on to off licences. So we are retaining the licence fee for people wishing to open an off licence, but we're removing it for people who want to open a bar or a cultural venue or a nighttime event to try and encourage people back into these environments Mm -hmm. that are safer, that are managed and where people obviously, their sole responsibility is to sell alcohol in a managed environment instead of where you're more more likely to be at home binge drinking or, you know, not, yeah. not, not monitoring what you're drinking yourself. How are we planning for the consequences to these changes in terms of Garda resources and transport, buses and taxis? Well, actually, I think what's been very positive today is, is that we've seen responses from our taxi services and others to say, in particular, the staggered hours will actually help. So one of the big things to come out of our consultation and engagement, either through the Nighttime Economy Task Force, which brought together all of these stakeholders or our own public consultation was that when you have hundreds of people and in some streets we can probably all think of thousands of people coming out at the same time, that in itself creates a problem. You have too many people, there is alcohol involved, you have people trying to get transport, they can't because there isn't enough. 
it then creates problems not just for the venues, but also for the Gardaí. So if we stagger things, if we say that people are not all going to be coming out at the same time, you have less of a problem where people are left hanging around. But also we know that where we're trying to obviously put on more 24-hour type services, we know that public transport starts earlier in the morning. So you're more likely to actually have transport for people if they're coming out of a nightclub. Um, you know, and it will be more likely weekends. I can't see many situations where we're going to have nightclubs open till six in the morning, seven nights a week. I've spoken to the sector. That's not what they want. But they want to be able to put these offerings on at weekends. So you'll actually have more public transport. In relation to the Gardaí, you know, you have Gardaí patrolling at all hours, um, particularly in our larger towns and cities where you're going to more likely see this. Do we need more Gardaí? Absolutely. And I would say that in the round, and that's why it's one of my top priorities and was allocated money in the budget to make sure that we get more Gardaí. But in the round, mm. this has actually been done in consultation with all of the sectors you've mentioned. And I think it actually will be a positive thing because it will space out some of the problems that we've seen happening and, and that have happened for many, many years. Uh, on the issue of Ukrainian refugees, for how long more will we be forced to accommodate them on the floors of airports? Well, look, I mean, nobody wanted to see what happened at the weekend where you had, and I would say a small number of people where there was not accommodation available at the weekend. But if I could just paint the bigger picture again, since the beginning of this year and more recently since March, we have accommodated and welcomed over 50,000 Ukrainian nationals and over 10,000 international protection. So we have provided accommodation when our general average yearly accommodation need for international protection applicants was 3,000. So absolutely, I I cannot explain how much effort is is gone into through our officials, our agencies, our departments to make sure that we have accommodation for people. I I would reassure people that those who were in the airport at the weekend have been contacted since they do have accommodation and we're we're doing everything that we can to bring it on stream as quickly as possible. But I I think we just have to be honest with people. This is not a situation that's going to get better. If you look at what Vladimir Putin is doing, his sole intention is to make sure that he cuts people off their electricity, their heating, so that they have no place to go except leave their country. And we have to be ready for that. And as a government, it's not that we were caught unawares or off guard. We are simply just under pressure and we're the same as every other country uh, who is dealing with this level of, of people coming in seeking our help. But, yeah. you know, when we think of what they're coming from, we, we really have to I, look at what we're trying to provide yeah, and I, that is help to them. I, I don't think anybody rational would suggest that it, w- it was ever going to be easy and they'll acknowledge there was always going to be and there will continue to be uh, hiccups or kinks along the way. At the same time, people will remember talk of us accommodating upwards of 200,000 at some stage, but yet we're saying we're caught off guard by 60,000. And, and there's stories up and down the country of local authorities never having contacted people, people who still have empty rooms in their houses, that they're still willing to give up to Ukrainians seeking accommodation. And the local authority has never phoned them back. They can't get through to whoever it happens to be. The local authorities were offered the opportunity to hire new directors of service just to deal with this. Very few of them have even done that. It seems we've got a failure of organisation, despite the challenges that people would acknowledge. Well, look, firstly, I would say we, we haven't been caught off guard. This, you know, has always been something that we anticipated would happen at some stage. Um, so as we've been trying to get accommodation on stream as quickly as possible, as I mentioned, over 70,000 people in a very short space of time, we're still working to bring more on stream. Um, you know, it, it is the case, obviously, that there are still some, I think there's about a thousand of the pledges that are left 
to be filled. Um, there are some challenges with those, that there is accommodation being offered in some instance. It is remote. There are challenges around that and, and we have to work through them. But I think it's, you know, we, we have to look at the bigger picture and the numbers. The vast majority of people who have offered places, they have been taken up on it and there has been engagement. There's still some work to do there. Mm. But that overall number is still a fraction of the larger number we're talking about, which on a weekly basis is well over the thousand. So all of that accommodation will cover maybe a couple of weeks. So it's it's the bigger picture. It's the mm. rapid build. It's the renovations that are currently happening at the moment. It's bringing all of those on stream. And all of that is happening. But these are numbers unlike I think anybody could have ever predicted or thought would happen. Uh, and as I said at you at the outset, unfortunately, it looks like this is not going to get any better. So In fact, it may get worse before you, it improves. So do you agree or disagree with the Ukrainian ambassador to Ireland who says the situation is not acceptable? Well, I actually think her words were perhaps taken out of context. I know there's a huge amount of engagement with the ambassador. I, I met with her myself only two weeks ago. Minister for Foreign Affairs and, and Minister O'Gorman meet with her quite regularly and we are obviously doing everything that we can to, to support the people that she represents here in Ireland and, and she's working very closely with us and, you know, that's a good relationship that we have and, and we certainly will continue with that. Um, but I, I think, you know, I think perhaps her words were taken out of context, but I think we all felt it was unacceptable that people didn't have accommodation, but that was a very short picture in time where if you look at the bigger picture we have provided significant amounts of accommodation we will continue to provide accommodation but we, we have to be really honest this is not going to be easy and there are going to be times when something like this happens and we will work through it but it's just not a situation anybody likes to see Minister for Justice Helen McEntee Minister thanks many for joining us Thanks Kieran. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan Weekdays from 4 on News Talk.